podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another podcast, the first another podcast in quite a while, so I guess you could just call it a podcast. Um, this is going to be part one of two parts, where uh, myself and my guests will be looking over the entire uh, Premier League and what they've done in the Jan- January transfer window, talking about the moves in and outs and giving them sort of a grading on on each part. This is part one, being released on Anfield Index. Part two will be released on the EPL Roundtable. Um, probably tomorrow. So obviously from the EPL roundtable, my host, my co-host tonight is Mr. Kevin John DeVries. How are you, Kev? I'm doing very well. Always nice to come on your show. I'm not sure how frequently it happens without me at this point. But very glad to be guesting on it. <laughs> it doesn't happen without you anymore. Um, and this is actually the first podcast I've hosted, I think, since the last time we did one of these. So <laughs> If people will if forgive me any rustiness, that would be greatly appreciated. Trev normally handles the hosting now, and I just rant. <laughs> well, listen, I don't want to preclude you from ranting on this one either. So, you know, do you. Listen to your heart, I think, is really wise advice. That's exactly it, and there, there may be some ranting when we when we reach Liverpool. So, for obviously, this being a Liverpool-based podcast, Liverpool will be in this section, but they will be the last team that we cover, because we're going to start with uh, Kev's good friends from North London <laughs> Arsenal Football Club. So, Kev, they had a very eventful transfer window. Indeed. Yeah, it, it was really crazy. I mean, obviously the the one that's going to steal all the headlines and indeed um, did on deadline day was bringing in Aubameyang. Obviously the outgoing that will snatch the headlines is the exit of Alexis. But we can touch on Aubameyang since it's the most recent one. Um, I was really confused. Uh, kind of as this happened, it seemed kind of an opportunity buy, which sometimes works, sometimes they don't. Uh, and I was really kind of confused as to how they were going to use both Aubameyang and Lacazette until David Ornstein's piece today talking about how Wenger doesn't really rate Lacazette. And all of a sudden, this started to make a lot more sense. Um, his finishing is obviously incredible. 13 goals and 16 uh, matches thus far this season. He's been in the top two in goal scoring in the Bundesliga the last three seasons. Uh, and Lewandowski shares that stat. He's always been one or two uh, opposite of Aubameyang. Mm-hmm. Um, but thought that was obviously uh, now realizing that he's probably being brought in as the primary forward for Arsenal. Uh, a very good buy. And it's hard to imagine him struggling the way Lacazette has. Uh, although both of them coming in after great success in a different league. Um Obviously, the Alexis selling was strange. We'll get to that in my outs. Um, not my outs. The outs. <laughs> I didn't do it. Um, <laughs> but they bring in uh, McTarian, um for a quote-unquote valuation of $35 million just because that was the random number they thought that both he and Alexis were worth in whatever world. Um, I can't complain about swap deals. Dave, I know on this show we've talked before about that weird Vorm and Naughton and Sigurdsson and yeah, Davis. Yeah, that was a good one. It was, it was quite it was strange one. as well. Um but I think bringing in McTarian, I think, is a great idea. Also, I've seen some people slating McTarian for saying at every new club that he wants to join them. Um, but as has been noted elsewhere, in 2009, uh, to UEFA, uh, like because they had their own like internal e-zine, yeah. uh, he mentioned that he wanted to play for Arsenal. So yeah. when people say that he just got shipped off and he's just 
got forced to move to Arsenal. I think they're kind of undercutting how much he might actually care about the club. Um, and considering Alexis just left, it opens up a wing spot. I don't know if it's supposed to be on the right or the left. I don't know how they're intending to develop a Wobi, although you'd assume he will get more of a shot now as well with Alexis not blocking him anymore. Um, but those are basically the only two ins they had, but I thought they were both uh, really good signings. Do you want you want to take the outs, or you want me to just keep rolling? Yeah, well, they also signed, of course, the legendary Constant- Constantinos <laughs> Mavroponis, who I know nothing about. He's a young centre-back. He's meant to be very mm-hmm. promising. So, I mean, that's good for their future. And we know that the big problem they have is that their centre-backs are pretty poor, inconsistent, capable of being good on some days, but overall, they're, they're both they're both under the quality of what's needed at a club like Arsenal. I mean, Oba is a, is a weird signing because they had Lacazette, and they've now committed over £100 million to these two strikers. And I don't care if Wenger rates Lacazette or not. When you commit £46.5 million to a striker, you can't just write that off after six months. So he has to find a way to play him. You also have to factor in whether Wenger will be there or not next season. So, I mean, it's it will probably be the next manager's headache. But, I mean, there is a way, I'm sure, that you could play Osel off the right, play Mkhitaryan off the left, have them both cutting in. You've got your two attacking fullbacks in Bellerin and, and uh, Kalasnik, so they can overlap and get forward. So you could be fairly solid and fairly lethal on the wings. Play Oba with maybe Lacazette just off him, um, or play them up front as a, as a natural two and, and see if they can find some chemistry. The problem then, of course, is they've got very little in midfield, nothing at centre-back, and a very, very old Peter Cech at this point, who has regressed and declined substantially. So while the Obama Yang one grabs the headlines, it doesn't really fix what they need. Like it's like having as as a friend of mine, Dom Campbell, once said about Manchester United with different players, it's like having a heart defect and going and getting a boob job. It's all well and good <laughs> and it looks very nice, but it doesn't really fix the problem. So you know, it'll be it'll be interesting. He's a tremendous player and we we'll see where it goes. I think the Mkhitaryan deal, getting him in for Alexis, I think that's a really clever move because they were going to lose Alexis for free in the summer. They've now got Mm -hmm. a player who's in his prime, who only a couple of years ago had 50 combined goals and assists for Dortmund, who's signing a long-term contract. And like you said, look... What he said when he joined United was he'd always dreamed of joining a club like United, meaning one of the super clubs. There are four right. super clubs in Europe, United, Bayern, Real and Barca. And if you ask any player when they're being completely honest with you, they want to play for one of those super clubs because that is the pinnacle of the game. Now, as you right. say, he has said in the and he's past... And he's not South American, so it's exactly, not Barcelona. <laughs> it's not Barcelona and it's not um, Real Madrid. It was For him, it was United... Or it was Bayern. And he got his way to United. Now he is joining the club. And look, I have followed this guy's career since he was at Shakhtar Donetsk. Because Liverpool were very keen on him. I had been keen on him for about a year to that point, And I was really hopeful that we'd get him. And he had said in the past that he was an Arsenal fan. So it's not something he's just made up because he's now there. Um, so it's it's great. I mean, he has always spoken of a... A high regard for Wenger, something to do with his dad. Held his dad was a professional footballer as well, 
and his dad knew Wenger and held him in very high regard as a coach. And that's where the whole thing with Arsenal developed um, from the, the kind of the mid-90s. So he, he is a long-term Arsenal fan. Um, so to get him in for Alexis, who was leaving regardless, I think it's very, very clever business. Um, and, and Arsenal have, you know, they've they've had a very busy window. I mean, three ins and five guys leaving. Sorry, is it six guys? Yeah. Six guys leaving. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, Cockeen left. They got twelve million for him. I, I think that's very good business. Yep. For a he was just the, he was. I, I've said this elsewhere. He was just their Ryan Mason. Yeah. Or their Jake Livermore. Exactly. However you want to view that. He lasted Like it was so nice. He there. was decent enough. Yeah. Considering it came to the academy, but getting more than ten million is a steal. Exactly, and you have to, like uh, that is the reason he was there so long as he came through the academy. He counted as homegrown. They obviously were paying him less than you would pay someone you bring in from elsewhere. So like a Ryan Mason or a Jake Livermore, you just keep him that bit longer. Liverpool have done it as well. Like the only reason John Flanagan is still at Liverpool is because he came through the academy. Um, he, he, Asterisk. Know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so 12 million for him. They got 20 million for Theo Walcott. Again, I think that's very, very good business. Um, a guy who hasn't looked good at all since his... his his bad knee injury a guy who's on big big money there i think over a hundred grand a week and if we're all honest like i think everybody had huge expectations for theo obviously broke through to Southampton very young got his big move to arsenal very young it was big money at the time for a player of that age and i think everybody expected that he would become a star and certainly a regular for england and it just has never fully clicked for him so to get 20 million from him for him from everton I think that's clever business. I think it's really, really good. You're getting rid of a player you don't need and you're getting in good money that you can put back into your squad. And to Everton's credit, it is something that they needed, whether or not they needed it now. The re- I'm just surprised it didn't happen in the summer when they knew they'd be playing a half season without Balassi. Yeah. They signed him two weeks after Balassi comes back. I just thought that was interesting timing. But it's inarguable that the thing they needed so desperately was pace. Because mm. they just had four central midfielders all playing across a bank of three, none of them actually running or creating space for themselves. And loads of very slow number 10s. Gilfi, Klaasan, Rooney, none of them have any pace. Even oh, Sigurdsson doesn't really have pace. Yeah, do you know? Like, good good technical players, but no pace, can't stretch the game. And because they'd moved to a 4-4-3 kind of, at times... They were you were seeing Gilfy out in the wing, and like he, he sure he's probably a fantastic crosser of the ball, but he can't get by a man. He's not right. exactly tricky, so if he doesn't have the pace and he doesn't have any tricks, he, he's kind of screwed. Um, we sold him because he couldn't play on the left. Yeah, that well that there you go. There's case in point. He'd always had his best success. I mean, the reason they paid forty six or forty seven million was the success he had as a number ten, and we discussed it at, at the time, Kev. That's act that I think that was the last time I did in another podcast was when we did that two part one um for the transfer window. Mm. Uh the summer transfer window was that they they didn't seem to mark guys off on their cro- checklist. So like they bought a number ten and then went went and bought in Clawson to start the summer. Yeah. Then, then got Rooney back then got Rooney, and got, and got Sigurdsson. Got so, you know, it was very <laughs> silly, very silly business. Um and and this is sort of them righting their wrongs and getting Theo. But obviously we'll get on to Arsenal, I think, or get on to Everton in a bit. I think, mm. you know, for him, it's his big chance of redemption. I think he has to go there with a chip on his shoulder and a point to prove. And obviously he had a very successful debut for them. 
uh, won them the game against Leicester. And I do hope he kicks on and, and, you know, does well. He's never going to be the player that, you know, we all hoped he would be, but he can still be a very solid Premier League player. Um, yeah, and we could do a whole show on pacey winners that didn't live yeah. up to their potential. It, it seems more than any other player ID to be very prevalent in, in that player in, in that player type. For sure. And I mean, we bought Chamberlain from Arsenal in the summer and he risked falling into that category as well. Um, obviously, he's now having a, a a bit of a rebirth at Liverpool, but he, he did risk going that way. Um, and then there's Alexis, who was the next one out the door. And it was obviously inevitable. He was always looking to leave. Um, it always felt like he joined Arsenal more out of necessity than want. I I think his options that summer were Arsenal or Liverpool. And, you know, with respect, if you have an option to work with Arsene Wenger or Brendan Rodgers, you're going to go and work with Arsene Wenger. If you can live in London or Liverpool, you're going to go and live in London because it is just a more metropolitan city. Um, there's a higher chance of him, you know, finding a Chilean community in London than there is in Liverpool. So, and the weather's a little bit nicer as well. Um, so, like, I mean, I don't know. What Do you think they're going to miss Alexis massively? Or do you think it, it was just the right time, the right move? I don't think they're going to miss this Alexis massively. Although I do think that people saying that he just wasn't trying uh, were a bit off the mark um, because he was still having a fairly decent season. Um, I know this uh, isn't supposed to be in the fantasy sphere, but that's the stat I know off the top of my head. Um, was that he still would have finished top 10 in fantasy last season with the stats he was projecting this season thus far. Um, was still getting goals, was still getting assists, was still creating chances. He was actually creating chances uh, and had a higher shot accuracy higher shot accuracy percentage this year than last year hmm. um so the people just saying he wasn't showing up at all um i think we're missing the mark a little bit it's true that he was not dominating the matches the way he used to and so maybe he was catching the eye less frequently and that may have been what people were detecting um but he was still doing the business when he had to um but obviously it, this Arsenal team needed him to be the guy that could carry them. And he did it last year as well as he could, and they still didn't make Champions League. Um, and so knowing he was going to leave for a free, getting an in-house replacement, who, again, as we mentioned, does actually already like the club, and then seeing that he was able to pull strings with Aubameyang to get him in, yeah, regardless of how it's going to work out and how much money they spent, that's important. I mean, that's why Tottenham got Lucas. It's because Serge Aurier was in his ear the whole window yeah. when he was trying to leave PSG. Yeah. So that has merit. So if you, if you look at it as... Basically, Alexis out for McTarian and uh, Aubameyang, and not money-wise, but poll-wise. Uh, I think they're better off now than they were then. I agree with sure. you, they could have added in, in defense, and I agree with Wenger, who mentioned it in this press conference today, that they should have done something in defense, although apparently they offered a super insulting bid to West Brom for Johnny Evans, which we'll talk about in part two of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think they're better off now than they were. I have a quick counter-question for you, though. Yeah. Um, because they sold Coquelin, they sold Walcott, they sold Alexis, and we haven't gotten to Giroud yet. Those are the big ones. Yeah. Um, Because we're doing grades on these, I'm curious as to how much the effect of them selling that many fan favorites in one window has for you. Because I know often your times you're progressive with Liverpool. You notice when a player is not good enough for the, for the standard of the club anymore and are willing to cut bait. But if you sold four in one window, surely Liverpool fans or any other fan base would have a pretty negative reaction to that. Yeah, I mean, they probably would because – of a short-term, you know, outlook because fans do tend to just look at this season and what's going to happen this season. Um, but Arsenal, 
Arsenal are in a funny position at the moment where they've they're twenty three years I think into the Wenger era, um, and it it does look like it's coming to an end. I mean they've they've changed their structure. They brought in the transfer guru from from Barca. They brought in Mislintat from Dortmund to put a structure in place, a director of football and a kind of or a chief negotiator and, and a you know head of recruitment or whatever titles they actually have. And they're things that Wenger had fought against for a long, long time. And he obviously made that comment one time about, you know, what are they going to direct me to? You know, the training pitch or whatever it was. And that's just silly. But it does seem like Arsenal have finally moved past Wenger having complete autonomy. And I mean, yeah. Mislintat is the guy who was a big part of bringing... Mkhitaryan to Dortmund and was the key factor in bringing Aubameyang to Dortmund when when they got those two guys. So you do think you do have to look at it and think, well, maybe this is his influence and this is a longer term. Now, oh, interesting. In, in terms of longer term, like these guys are obviously twenty eight, twenty nine. So I'm not talking five, six, seven years. I'm talking the next three or four years. And if Mislintat is able to go and make those decisions with maybe not the full backing or full influence of Wenger, perhaps they're looking to move on this summer. So it may be a case that they're trying to shape their squad to make it more appealing to a manager. Like, if you went to, say, Max Allegri in the summer, if he was wavering on leaving Juve, and said, oh, well, come and join our club, but by the way... Uh, Alexis Sanchez is about to leave on a free and Mesut Ozil is leaving on a free. Might follow him out the door, yeah. Yeah, you know, Allegri's going to look at that and go, well, okay, well, who have you got? Oh, well, we've got Lacazette. Oh, well, he was terrible last year. Right, I'm going to stay with Juventus because, you know, this is a really good club, a really good team. And this is my team. I've, I've you know, shaped this team now into my kind of identity. Whereas if they can turn around and go, okay, well, we've got Aubameyang, locked in for the next four and a half years we've got Mkhitaryan locked in for the next three and a half or four and a half years and we've got also locked in for four years now uh, that's all of a sudden very very appealing to a top class manager because you have to remember, and it looks like they're trying to design a title run for the next yes, two or three years exactly and here's the thing Kev you can list the top 10 managers in the world and every one of them with two exceptions is taking a job this summer, you know, if they're moving, or last summer or the following summer, they're taking the job with a three-year plan of this is what I'm going to do, target A, B, and C. And mm-hmm. those targets are winning the winning the domestic league and winning the Champions League and whatever, whatever else it may be. It could be winning the domestic Some domestic league. cup, some financial you know, target. The anything. only two that aren't are Klopp and Pochettino. They're the guys you bring in and you say, right, What's the plan? Okay, my plan is five years. It's not three years. It's going to take me that little bit longer. But when I leave at the end of that five years, your club is going to be in a much better situation. And if Pochettino walked from Spurs this summer, now I I don't think he will, and I hope he doesn't, but if he walked from Spurs this summer, he could look at Spurs and point and say, that team is much better than the team that I took over, and that team is set up to be here for the next few years. That's what I True. have done. I have taken you from point A to point B. Maybe not the whole way to point C, which is where you would hope you were hoping with a title or whatever. But if Spurs did have to change managers, and again they were going after Allegri, the Spurs job would be very, very appealing. 
And that's what Arsenal have to contend with because you have to remember there's going to be a number of big jobs going up this summer. There's potentially Real Madrid, potentially Bayern Munich, definitely Chelsea, Chelsea, Manchester United, Juventus if Allegri leaves, AC Milan. There's going to be top jobs. So Arsenal are going into a competitive market, not just for players, for managers. And there's not a whole lot of top managers around that Arsenal would consider worthy of the job. Same with your guys, same with us if Klopp left. You know, he obviously isn't going to leave this summer, touch wood. But there's only a certain group of managers that fans would be acceptable for. So fans have to look at it and go, the manager's not going to join just because it's the name on the state, because it's Arsenal. They won't join just because it's Arsenal Football Club. But they'll join Arsenal Football Club because of Osul, Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan. And the opportunity to then go and put their own core in place, goalkeeper, centre-backs... They can buy whichever, yeah, defenders they want. And goalkeepers, (laughs) defenders and midfielders tend to be more plentiful and a bit cheaper than your top class number nines or your top class attacking midfielders, which is what they're True, although it's harder to bring in a good goalkeeper as uh, I'm sure you are aware. (laughs) It is. It is. Goalkeeping scouting is probably the hardest thing to do. So, I mean, that's going to be the biggest task for Arsenal. They'll find two good centre-backs because they need two. It's not the same as say, you know, they they need to go. They could go and buy a pair, like two guys that will fit. It doesn't have to be the two best individual centre backs, but find two whose skill sets complement each other, or, or who played together at international level. Look at Spurs. You bought Vertonghen, mm-hmm. and then a couple mm-hmm. of years later, you're looking for a partner for him. Oh well, does Toby Alderweireld, who plays with him for Belgium, and not only plays with him for Belgium has played with him for Ajax, knows him mm-hmm. like the back of his hand. You could you can go and do that. You bought those two guys for pennies on the pound. Absolutely. Yeah, and they were replacing uh, a Ledley King with neither knee and Michael Dawson. Exactly. Like that's like it, it is not impossible to build from from that kind oh. of Yeah, so um obviously you you can repair that that center back situation pretty quickly. Um but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think uh, all in all in this uh Transfer window, it, not to accelerate things, but if I had to put a grade on it, I'd probably give them a B minus, um, mostly because the defense wasn't addressed. And if they really wanted to make that charge up to the top four this season, I think that would have been more needed than a forward. <laughs> they kind of did another Arsenal thing where the issue was at the back and they readdressed up front. Um, but I, I think bringing in McTarian for quote unquote nothing by losing Alexis. Uh, I think is is a really good deal on their side. And while they lost a lot of sentimental players, they they made a move that a lot of clubs struggle to do, which is get rid of pretty good players to try to improve long term. Yeah. A lot of times people get stuck with those players for a very long time. And while all those players had been there for a while, uh, the fact that they were willing and able to cut bait on them, uh, while none of them were horrible, for the record, um, I, I think is a credit to them. So yeah, I'm I'm going B minus. Yeah, I, I'm I'm in the same boat as you. I mean, I think. To swap Sanchez from Ekaterin is excellent. Um, to to free yourself of Debucci, who was just a drain on your resources, is a good move. And if we look at it this way, they basically turned Cockeen, Walcott and Olivier Giroud, who, with respect, are nothing more than squad players for a, a top four team, or even a top six team, because that's what we have now is a top six. They're nothing more than squad players at that level. To turn the three of them and six million in cash into Obamiang is is pretty good business. I mean, 
you can't really go wrong. The, I'd give them a B, maybe knock it to a B minus, just because they strengthened the rival. They gave Giroud to, to Chelsea, and Chelsea gave Alexis to United. I gave yeah, you, yeah you, Alexis to United. Now they took McTarian from United, and I, I obviously he wasn't the the best fit there, but I don't know how well the fit is with Sanchez. We'll get to that when we come to them. But uh, yeah, I think I think a B minus is fair. Um, right. So moving on, we next up have Bournemouth. Uh, the, I suppose, the smallest club in the Premier League, certainly in terms of ground capacity. And, and also in terms of the moves they made. Exactly. Um, a team having a weird season and kind of a disappointing season. They're sitting in 13th, but they're quite close to the uh, the relegation, mm-hmm. relegation battle. Um, no significant outgoings. Uh, you know, and in terms of incomings, they did nothing either. Mm-hmm. Now, this for me is a concern because I think they needed to add. I think if, if there was one club in the league that really needed a bit more depth um, and could maybe have worked the loan market, I would say it would have been Bournemouth. But they haven't done anything. Do you think this could cause them? Um, yeah, this this could cause them some issues. Um, I think, <laughs> and this is always a, a contentious thing, I think they were a little too successful in January. They're undefeated in their last five matches and beat Everton, Arsenal, and Chelsea. So it's hard for Eddie Howe to take those, those results and go to the board and say, I need to strengthen. Like, look at your recent results. You're doing fine, um, especially with some of those bigger scalps. And I think they may be a little bit of a victim of their own trend um, where they could have used more players, as you said. Although, if if they're betting on their own players, which a manager like Eddie Howe, if he's to become as good a manager as he's meant to be one day... Um, He's backing his current players. He's backing his current squad. Um, Stanislas obviously had a very good match uh, against Chelsea. I've always thought Ryan Fraser was good. Cook is talented. Um, the wingbacks are kind of that Arsenal issue where they're pretty good. Um, and then uh, I, I think all year we were waiting for Nathan Ake to show up the way he did for them last season. He started mm-hmm. doing well. I, I agree with you. They should have done something. Yeah. But I do I do think there are enough pieces there that if they believe in them, if they think that. And and I, I don't think it's misplaced belief. It, the the talent level in that squad is high enough to stay in the Premier League. For sure. What they could have done is buy somebody to guarantee that they were good enough to stay in the Premier League. Yeah, even just bringing someone in on a loan, if you if you more want to scare somebody else who's there into playing harder for the position and maybe yeah. upping their game, that was an option. Um, but they didn't do anything, so we might as well just move on quickly past them. So, uh, no grade, really. <laughs> do they get an NA? I think an NA, for, and for not grade? applicable in terms of grading. Yeah. <laughs> um, their grade is going to come at the end of the season, because if they go down... It was an F. We'll be pointing to this and saying, well, that's an F. If they stay up, you could maybe give them a C for mm-hmm. intelligence, you know? Um, <laughs> next up, another another South Coast team, Brighton and Hove Albion. A um, couple of outgoings. Uh, Sofan... Ahanak went to Sparta Rotterdam on loan. Kazanga Lua went to Sunderland on a free. And Jamie Murphy went to Rangers for an undisclosed fee. Coming in, Leandro Ochoa from Leicester on loan. Um, mm-hmm. Jurgen Lacadia. Lacadia, that's how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> from PSV Eindhoven for an undisclosed fee. Warren O'Hara from Bohemians in Ireland for an undisclosed fee. And Victor Gajorkas from some Swedish team whose name I won't insult by trying to pronounce. Mm-hmm. Um, also and technically Tim Kroll. And technically Tim Kroll, yeah. yeah. Because uh, they 
they had signed him in mid-September, and it, it, and it ruined their whole buying of Jensen, and then they just went for a different Dutch striker. Yeah, very, very, very silly. Very, very silly. <laughs> um, anyway, mm-hmm. to I don't know anything about Giorgis, and I'm ashamed to say I don't know anything about Warren O'Hara because I don't really watch League of Ireland. So um, they did bring in two strikers and yeah. uh, two pretty good strikers. Lacadia is a is a good player. Um, mm-hmm. Not sure he's worth the rumored 15 million they paid for him, but if he keeps them in the Premier League, he's worth every penny. Exactly, yeah. And as you mentioned, they bring in two strikers to what is currently tied for the league's worst defense, with yeah. only 14 goals scored thus far. For those keeping track, we just passed Matt, we just passed match week 25. Yeah. So 14 goals in 25 matches as a team. Um, appalling. And uh, was it, did you just play Brighton or Huddersfield? We just played Huddersfield. Okay. We, we well, beat, we beat still Brighton. worth noting that didn't they say Salah had more goals than all of them as well? Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's, well, we that's beat fun. we beat them with Ginny Wijnaldum and Emre Chan as two thirds of a back three with Dayan Lovren. So that's no <laughs> that's no centre backs in our team that day, and yeah. we we absolutely smashed them. They never caused any trouble. So they have had major problems up front. Um, if Lacadia comes in and can score and create goals, which he's shown that he is able to do with PSV Eindhoven. Um, and Ochoa is a guy who knows the Premier League, and he's a big, bustly striker. He, he scores goals when you need him. He put, he, he's it. that guy. He's the guy. He, he's never going to score goals. twenty, but like when you're when you're down one nil in the eighty fourth minute, he'll he'll save you a draw. Yeah, he's the guy that scores big goals. And, mm-hmm. He did uh, for Leicester in that title winning season. Exactly. Exactly. I, I saw something like he got them twelve points in that season, and the gap ended up being, I, I think, less than that. In around that, wasn't it? You yeah. Know, and yeah. he and he scored big goals the season before as well. In helping, them, them in helping them stay up. So, yeah. you know, he is an important player. Um, obviously, he's kind of dipped the last season and a half. But I think he'll do pretty well for Brighton. He's been there before, obviously, so he knows the club very, very well. Um, had a good season for them in 13-14 with 16 goals and 38 appearances, obviously, in the championship. But he did step up to the Premier League with Leicester and show that he can play at that level. So, I mean, all in all, I think... They're working with a very tight budget, obviously. They're not a club that's able to go and spend 20 million here and 25 there and whatever. You know, they had a very specific budget to spend. They've spent it. And and the other thing as well, they're one season into the Premier League. They're hovering just outside the relegation zone. They're not exactly a huge draw to players because they could go down in five months and then these players are stuck in the championship. And they also can't overcommit to players because they can't go to, like, say, Newcastle did a couple of years ago. They went and bought Andros Townsend. They guaranteed him a relegation release clause at less than they paid for him. And when they went down, they lost money on him. And for Brighton to get in players of, say, like a John Joe Shelby was rumoured that he might be available, they'd have had to have done that because he's already joined one team who in Newcastle who went down a few months later. Mm-hmm. They would have had to do that. Um, you know, if they, if they'd gone after players of that caliber from the Premier League, but to go out and get Lacadia, uh, obviously his his former teammate Davy Proper is at the club, so he'll have someone mm-hmm. to help him settle in. They do have um, Rose, who's done very well this year. Yeah, and of course Tim Krul, as you mentioned. So they have a little Dutch kind of click building there. Uh, oh, so sorry, that, that <laughs> didn't realize that was where you're going with that. <laughs> that should, but that should help him build, you know, settle in. Yeah, maybe a bit quicker. And I think I think they'll do pretty well. I do. I think I think they'll do pretty well. Yeah, I think they're staying up. Yeah, yeah, I do. I think I think Chris Hutton's good enough. I think that defense 
is good enough against the lower half of the league uh, to win them enough points that they will stay up. I will give Brighton a B for their window. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, the one uh, concern I have is I was talking about how excited I was to see Lacadia join uh, Brighton so we could see him in the Premier League to see if he could fulfill his potential. And somebody uh, said, why isn't he Josie Altador? And I wish I had a stronger retort to that because um, there isn't a reason why he won't be. E- either outcome, because Josie yeah. Altador should have been more successful in the Premier League than he was. But uh, I think Lacadia could fail at the same level. There's no real physical difference between the two uh, i do like the finishing from lacadia more a lot of josie Altador's goals came a lot closer um to goal whereas lacadia has a bit of a long-range strike on him but at a club like brighton you don't really want him taking a lot of long-range kicks and giving away possession in an attacking area because they're not there that often mm. um but i agree with you i mean you're the worst attack in the league you sign two strikers you're doing something right That's if it exactly works it then you're, you're, you've done well. And if you didn't, you had the right idea. Here's, and if these are the players that you could get in, fair play. Exactly. Here's why I don't think he becomes Josie. Josie was a victim of the managers that he played under. Uh, he played under long ball managers who thought that this is a big That guy, he was only good for his size. And that's it. And if you look at Josie playing for TFC now, it's everything into feet. Into feet, lay it off, get yourself in the box. And that's when Josie is good. And he yeah. has been spectacular for TFC for the last 18 months. Um, he has uh, established himself as, without question, the best number nine in that league. And he was never given these opportunities at, at Hull or Sunderland. He was told to stand up front and the ball was hoyed up at his head and he was told to go and win flick-ons. And that's fine. But you do have to remember that not only is he's not just a big guy, he's a big muscly guy. And for him to sprint around and try and jump and win headers all the time, he tires quite easily doing that. Where if the ball mm. is in defeat and he's able to just back into defenders, it's much easier for him to play like that for the whole 90 than it is to be expected to be a cart horse. Um, I, I think I don't think Lacadia runs that risk because Chris Hewton is a manager that plays good football. That's basically where I land on it. And I think if Josie played for mm. him, I think he'd do well. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, but yeah, both of us giving Brighton a B, I, I think is fair. But much like uh, the Bournemouth thing, if they stay up, It'll, it'll be because of this, because they did make the move. Yeah. But if they don't, they still get the credit of having tried. Exactly. I think that that's what was lacking with Bournemouth. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, moving on to Burnley. So they had mm-hmm. a number of outs. They had Jimmy Dunn, Caius Metz, Harry Lim, Josh Ganelli, and Dan Agye leaving on loan. They also had Luke Hendry, Alex Whitmore, and Harry Flowers leaving permanently. They brought in Aaron Lennon from Everton for... An undisclosed fee, which I would imagine is probably in the two to three million range. I wouldn't imagine it's very high. And Ke- uh, George's Kevin and Kudu from your beloved Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah. Uh, two pacey wingers, and pace was what they were really lacking. So I, I think these are good fits. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Uh, curious to see how they um, pair them with Good Munson, who obviously has really come on this year. Um, because you can't play three wingers at a time. Uh, Jamie Smith, who comes on the EPL Roundtable, great guy, um, who uh, writes for a lot of people. You can find him at Jamie Smith. Give him a, a nice little shout-out. Um, was talking about how they might consider moving Good Munson into Jeff Hendricks' role uh, as a number 10, although it's kind of the opposite of the Sigurdsson thing, mm. because the thing that Good Munson does best is cross the ball, Yeah. and you're obviously removing that ability if he's playing more centrally. Um, but... Uh, the reason why I love this window is you're absolutely right. They needed pace and they needed a replacement for Robbie Brady. They did it pretty early in the window by bringing in Nkudu. 
but they did it while they were six points from safety. Yeah. Now they've gotten another three points. Now they're just three points from that 38, which is really where the barometer is. Yeah. Um, so they can just kind of mess around, see what they have within <laughs> the squad, see if they think Nkudu is good enough to keep. Mm-hmm. Um, Stuff like that. So uh, it would be very hard for me to begrudge them anything they did. Maybe bring in a center back. Just because you've been playing Tarkovsky and me a lot. Tarkovsky is going to miss this weekend. Um, And considering they just let Michael King go and didn't replace him because they knew Tarkovsky could step up. And credit to them. I didn't think he would step up as well as he has. He's done phenomenally well. But now you need the one behind them because... Now Tarkovsky and me might have some phone calls this summer. That's exactly um, it. And so, so you, you you needed to strengthen there a little bit. Um, but when Ward comes back, you have pseudo depth at left back. Um, so yeah, I, I'm fine with it. I mean, I think they're a little samey up front. Yeah. With Wood and Vokes and Barnes. Lots it of big feels tall like, men. Who yeah. Do, who do the same but but thing. it's it suits them, which yeah. I guess is fine. But maybe maybe improve there. But. Uh, regardless of what they did this window, they wouldn't have gotten lower from a C than me because of how impressive they've been thus far and because all they have to do is figure out how to win one more match the rest of the season. That's it, and they're safe. And for me, I look at this, I think Nkudu starts with Goodmanson as the wingers, um, and I think Lennon is then the depth. That's where I think it will Mm. go. Lennon will be the depth, and he can play both sides. He's equally comfortable playing both sides. He brings a veteran veteran leadership to those positions. Um, Obviously, a guy who's had some personal problems in in recent times, um, so, you know, they'll have to be careful with, with where that goes and kind of monitor him as well because he's going to need some assistance. He's going to need uh, to have a support system in place. Uh, but I hope he does really well. I really do. I've always liked Darren Ledden. I liked him at Leeds. I liked him when you had him. Didn't like him at Everton, obviously, because he was at Everton. But <laughs> um, now, that he's, now that he's free of that, um, I'm quite happy. I, I hope Nkudu does really well there because he has talent. And even if, if you guys aren't prepared to sell him in the summer, maybe he could stay there for another 12 months. Um, this is a good. This is a good window. It really is. Um, cousin Jeff is undroppable. Let it be said, cousin <laughs> Jeff is undroppable. Um, but they've got like they they do play some nice football, and adding this pace now on the wings gives them just that extra dimension that they've been lacking. They, as you said, they're a very predictable team. Um, without Brady, but they do it well. But they do it like, very well, like, like a team version of Aryan Robin. You know what they're going to do? Stop them. That's it. Now, from what I've heard, they approached Arsenal and they asked for either Rob Holding or Callum Chambers on loan. Yeah, for, the, the Holding thing definitely had something to it. For unknown reasons, Arsenal have said no. Now, that's at the height of stupidity in my view because, number one, Burnley trains centre-backs very, very well. Like Poch does wing-backs. Exactly. All of them turn, turn to be gold. Exactly. And... If you had sent Holding or Chambers, and I think Chambers still has potential to be very, very good. If you had sent him there for the rest of this season, and maybe even next season, because like you say, they could lose one of their two starting centre-backs in the summer. I think he really could have developed into a very, very good defender. And I think I think his career is suffering at Arsenal because he's not getting a look-in. They won't loan him out. The same with Holding. I think holding is getting a bit more of a chance, but like, you know, you're in a position where the two starting centre backs are not good enough. You're in a position where Per Mertesacker is 106 years old and Nacho Monreal is five foot four, and you're <laughs> playing him as a centre back, and you have these two young guys who you clearly don't either don't fancy or don't need. Loan them out and let them get experience. I thought Chambers came on quite a bit during his loan spell. Um, at Middlesbrough under Ator Karanka 
And if I if I was Wenger, I would have sent one of them to Burnley and I would have rang Nottingham Forest where Karanka is now and said, do you, do you want this guy on loan for the rest of the season? And just get them playing under coaches who know how to develop in that position. And you can say whatever you want about Sean Dyche, but he knows how to develop centre-backs. There's a reason Michael Keane uh, went for £30 million in the summer. He he developed Michael Keane into a very good player. And Tarkowski, uh, I think he's been excellent all season. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if a, a top top six club came in for him. It really wouldn't. I think he could play at that at that level. Uh, I don't buy the fact that oh they can only play in the, the deep block and all that kind of stuff. I, I think I think they can defend quite well. And he came to to Anfield and he was the best player on the pitch. Do you know he he was the best player on the pitch yeah. that day. Um, I would take him beside Van Dijk ahead of any of the other centre backs we have in Liverpool. Um, because I think fundamentally he's excellent. And I think he could be a Stefan Ancho to Virgil van Dijk's Sammy Hippiage. You know, that, that kind of, that guy who likes to do two things, Kev. He likes to kick people and he loves to, def- <laughs> and he likes to defend. And that's it. That's all he cares about. He doesn't care about any of the fancy stuff. He goes on the pitch. He wants to defend like his life depends on it. And he wants to kick lumps out of somebody. And that's what a lot of teams are missing. So for me, Kev, I give Burnley a B as well. I think they addressed their biggest need, which was a lack of pace and width. And um, and they've got two good players. And I think one with great potential and one just who knows how to play in the Premier League. So a B from me. Yeah, I'll, I'll toss them a B plus. That plus may come from uh, their form before the window even opened. Uh, I just kind of have developed a soft spot for them a bit this year. Um, the only question mark again is uh, adding in defense, but uh, if they can stay fit, it's not really that big of an issue. The other really disappointing thing is they just found out that DeFore's injury is much worse than they feared, and they yeah. found out like on deadline day, I think, and there's just no way to really do anything about that. Um, but uh, you were mentioning uh, Cousin Jeff has to play. Maybe just push him a little bit back yeah. Um, yeah. from his number 10 role, just a little more into central midfield, and then give good months in that spot. It is an easy solution in-house. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll give him a B plus, and all credit to Burnley and Sean Dice for what they've done this year. Yeah, and the only positive they should take from the DeFore thing is maybe it keeps him at the club another season because he probably would have had some suitors yeah. in the summer. Uh, this, That's this, fair. Might, this might put them off. Uh, so moving on, uh, back into the top four uh, to the reigning Premier League champions who seem to be in a very weird place at the moment. Uh, of course, talking about Chelsea. They just seem to be having themselves a little bit of a mare at the moment. They don't seem to have any real direction. Uh, they have a manager who seems intent on getting himself fired. And um, they, they, they've they been busy. They have been busy. They signed three players. Ross Barkley from Everton. Emerson Palmieri from Roma. And Olivier Giroud from Arsenal. Uh, leaving them was... Who left them? Oh, yeah. Who left uh, Chelsea? Everyone? Oh, actually, everybody. Look at the... Right, listen, this is who <laughs> they loaned out. Ike Ugbo, Jake Clark Salter, Josemir Quintero, Nathan, Kennedy, Baba Rockman, Charlie Masunda, Todd Kane, Michi Batshuayi, and Casey Palmer. All of those mm-hmm. players went on loan. That's yeah, those aren't the players. souls. Yeah. That's ten players that they have just loaned out. That is absolutely bananas to loan and shockingly to my knowledge none of them to uh, the Eredivisie 
Yes, none of them to Via Tisarnum, which is very crazy. Um, Chelsea B. Yeah, exactly. Um, the ones that matter there really are Michi. He's gone to Dortmund as part of the merry-go-round that got them Giroud and sent to Bamiyang to Arsenal. Um, Charlie Masunda, who is one of their kind of bright light prospects, mm-hmm. um, very, very talented, gone to Celtic. He, he should do well up there because it's, it's a garbage league. Um, so he, <laughs> he should do, do quite well up there. Um, and Wanyam and Van Dijk developed well there. Yeah, exactly. And look, if you, Scott Sinclair is tearing the league up and, you know, he's nothing to write home about. So, uh, hopefully Masunda will do well there. Um, Baba Rockman, who it just hasn't worked for him at Chelsea. The talent's there. The talent is definitely there. Now he's gone on loan as Masunda has, not just for the rest of this season, but for the rest of the season and all of next season. So two long-term loans there. Uh, Kennedy went to Newcastle. He's a, he's a decent enough player, whether he's, you know, real Premier League standard or not, we're going to find out while he's at Newcastle. Um, but good to get him games. But the interesting stuff, Kev, is, is what they brought in. Um, I, I really like Ross Barkley. I think he's a very good player. I just wonder if he's what they really need, given they they already had pretty good depth in centre midfield. Yeah. Um, this this deal, it should have been this or Bakayoko in the summer. Yeah, or, 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 or this or drink water. Yeah, You true. know, two of the three, not, not all three. You don't need three when you already have Kante and Sesk. Right. Yeah, it's very strange. I agree with you. I mean, the Barkley deal for fifteen million, obviously the the wages is what separated Tottenham and, and Chelsea. And I think the thing that Tottenham didn't think about when we figured we could just try to get him on a free is that you're dealing with a player that has a little bit of fear right now because he just had a huge injury. So the idea of him getting being able to lock down a big contract now mm. I think played up a bit more than we than we expected. But it's a great bit of business getting that kind of talent into the squad, but I agree with you. I'm not sure this is the right fit for the club or the player, yeah. which is which is a little strange. But listen, uh, there were 20 teams that could have signed Ross Barkley for 15 million, and only one of them did it. Yeah, and so they they have to get some credit for that. At the end of the day, Kev, if you've got a choice between signing the good player and not signing the good player, you always sign the good player. Right, which is why I didn't mind the Obama Yang thing being as yeah, expensive as it was. Exactly. And Just figure figure it out when he's in the building. Exactly. You know? Figure it out afterwards. Get him in, then figure it out. The thing with Barkley as well is look. Even if he does nothing at Chelsea for 18 months, they will still get that 15 million back for him because he's a very talented English midfield player and he will still be in his mid-20s in 18 months. So it's it's a no-risk move for Chelsea, really. Um, it's 20 million, I think, less than they were willing to pay in the summer. So in that respect, it saved them 20 million. Um, they've bought Emerson Palmieri from Roma. Now, he's a very good left-back, but he is coming off an ACL tear. They already had a good left back in Marcus Alonso. So now they've got good depth there um, to go with good depth at right wing back with Moses and Zabacosta. So they are strengthening their, their their depth and they're putting themselves in a position where they're adding depth to the squad, which when they add one or two higher end players will enable them to compete on all fronts. Um, so I, th- I think it's a good move. I think they've got them for less then the price was touted. Like Liverpool were being touted twenty five million for him. They've got him in for about seventeen and a half. So it's clever business. And again, you know, he's he's declared for Italy. He's obviously he is Brazilian, but he's declared for Italy. Um if he's playing for Brazil or for it for Italy, if he's in their squad, he's going to retain his value. Um and he's 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 a good player, so and he's young. He's he's still only twenty four, I think. So again it's it's a really no risk kind of deal where they're not 
losing anything if, if he doesn't work out they'll sell him and get most of their money back yeah i i agree and, and they could literally flip him in the summer and sell him for 20 yeah um to your point so uh again if he stays there long term it, it's hard to not imagine his development stagnating as so many of the young players they've bought has um but you know again you you make that deal 10 times out of 10 if it's offered to you if you're chelsea and you have the money um the, the one i want to talk about here is this strange triangle deal where they bring in Giroud, but get rid of Batshuayi, who's now scored five goals already in 2018, scored two goals and an assist on his debut for Dortmund. Uh, I know Conte tends to cut people go, but the reason why this triangle is so fascinating to me is because it started because they kicked Diego Costa out of the club, which is insane, considering what he did for them last season. And it was insane if Morata had a good season. Yeah. But now that he's not, there have to be so many questions raised. And all I can think about uh, internally is how much I currently resent Andre Villas-Boas' tenure at the club. Because he made a lot of big, long-term squad decisions that ended up only being part-term because of him. You know what I'm saying? Like He made long-term choices that we cannot undo that... Uh, outlasted his stay at the club. And that's what this deal is to me. Yeah, Getting rid of Diego Costa, a player who personified all the things I hate about Chelsea fans, but all the things that a lot of Chelsea fans like about their own club. Like It was such a good match. And for them to ship him off back to Atleti to bring in Morata, who cannot score right now, mm. um, and then Batshuayi, who finally started to find form, only to be immediately loaned out, to bring in Giroud, and listen, Giroud, kind of like we were saying with Ajoa, Giroud can score an important goal. Yeah. Nobody's debating that. But as you pointed out, he was surplus requirements at Arsenal. Chelsea are supposed to be title challengers, although this year nobody's title challengers aside from City. But is this really what you're going with? Because Murata's hurt right now. And Giroud is coming in with an injury. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess you're playing Hazard as a false nine this weekend. But, but then what do you do? Because are you going to use Giroud long term? Because if you are, then you're selling Murata. But yeah. Murata's far younger, so why would you bring in somebody to dent his confidence further? I, I just very much do not understand this deal. Because if you play Batshuayi over him, they're in training every day. I'm sure Murata is watching Batshuayi scoring goals both in practice and in games. And if you benched Murata for Batshuayi and just told him, listen, if you start scoring, you have a chance to go ahead of him again. That is a fair thing for a manager yeah. to say to a player. To bring in Giroud, who I assume is 30 by this point, who 30, has 31, fallen yeah. out of favor at Arsenal and saying, this guy we think is better than you right now. Yeah. Like, if there was a chance Murata was going to turn it around, I think that's died with this move. I think if Murata finds success, it will not be at Chelsea. I agree. It's weird, though, Kev, because it doesn't seem like Giroud was their target. They didn't seem to have a target. They seem No, to they, have... just, they just set up, like, a, a scouting inquiry for all strikers six foot tall and above. That's it. They had an idea of what they wanted, and, and they were linked. Like, they were linked to proper trash. Andy Carroll. Peter, yep. Peter Lorente, Crouch, Crouch. Ashley Barnes was my favorite one. Ashley Barnes. And then it seemed like they'd gone the right way because they were looking at Eden Zeko. Now, that fell through. And they got Giroud. Which must be disappointing because Jekko came out and publicly said that it was him. That he's the one that killed it. He killed because it, Because yeah. he wanted to stay at Roma. But here's why I think he wanted to say, I don't think they're bringing Giroud in or any of those strikers in as starters. I think he just wants a target man off the bench because 
they don't have a way to change games late on unless Hazard if things are going poorly unless Hazard does something brilliant they're a little bit screwed they don't really have can another I just, option can I just offer a pitch yeah start Batshuayi and have Morata as your target man off the bench yeah see that's what that's what I, I, I love what? Michi Batshuayi I think I think he's got and I love Antonio Conte but what yeah. he's doing I just do not understand now the other question is how much of this is actually his decision because he's Fair. been very public that, that a lot of this isn't his decision. There has been rumours that one of the reasons Michael Emanolo left um, is that there's been interference from above him from Marina, who is the sort of, I think she's the CEO now of Chelsea, um, and she's very, very close to Bramovich, that maybe she's the one that pushed Diego Costa out the door rather than it being Conte, and Conte just sort of, went along with it and then sort of decided to back the club and he got made to look an absolute prick, let's be honest, because Costa came out and said what had happened. Um, but it, this is strange. I mean, they've gone from a position where they had Costa and Batshuayi last year and they won the title with those two. And both of them... And Batshuayi scored the title-clinching goal. Exactly. And and if you were looking at that, you would say, OK, Costa is clearly the, the guy for now and the guy for next season... And then maybe in 2019-20, you start to transition to Batshuayi, where he becomes the guy and cost is your option off the bench. And now they have neither of those two guys. Uh, they have Morata, who's not as good as Costa. And they have Giroud, who's not as good as Batshuayi. Um, and I, I don't think Batshuayi will be back to Chelsea. I think he will... I think he will be bought by Dortmund in the summer. I think that they, they'll figure that out and, and they'll work that to, to get him. They've signed Giroud to an 18-month contract with, with a third, with, with a, you know, an, an option for a third year or a second half year, which is just a weird contract to do um, if you're outlaying £18 million pounds for a player to only guarantee him 18 months at the club. Kind of shows you're not entirely sure about him and you maybe only bought him because you wanted someone tall. But with Zeko, I just think Zeko was, they told Zeko, you're not coming to start, you're going to be either either competing for the starting position or you'll be coming off the bench. I think that's why he killed it. He's the man in Roma, like, he is their main guy. The whole team is built around him. You're not going to give that up to come and sit in the bench or compete with some kid that you're clearly better than. Um, so it's it's a weird one. I think they've signed three good players, but they're all... None of them are starters. Like, I don't see it. Like, maybe Barkley forces his way in into midfield with, with, with Kante over the next six months and is a starter for mm. next year. But certainly for now, uh, he's not a starter. And uh, certainly Palmieri doesn't displace Marcus Alonso straight away. And I'd, I'd maybe Zeko will in the short term. But, like, again, what's, what's the long term plan there? So it's a confusing window. Um, I would give it a C. I think a C. Mm. Even at that, I kind of look at it and go, well, okay, you did kind of allow, enable Arsenal to get uh, Aubameyang. Now, I don't think it's going to help Arsenal this year because I think they're too far out of of the top four. I I don't think they're going to get the points required. But say if they do, and say it's at the expense of Chelsea, well, that's your fault because by you giving Batshuayi to Dortmund, Dortmund were willing to sell Aubameyang to Arsenal. Uh, mm. So it's 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 a weird, weird window. 
Yeah, I'm giving it a C minus. The only reason it's not a D is because of how cheaply they got Barkley. Um, just it's it's just so strange, and I can't get the fact that they got rid of Costa and then put themselves in this mess. Like they had the solution, got rid of it, and invited this kind of insanity on themselves. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll go C minus, but it could drift downwards very easily. Yeah, and to go from Costa and Batshuayi to two lesser strikers and it to cost you money. Uh, a substantial figure of money. It isn't great business. Like, I mean, Chelsea mm. have sort of, they shot themselves in the foot in a couple of ways here. Um, anyway, moving on, Crystal Palace up next. Um, they signed some players that I've never heard of, Kev. Uh, Yaroslav Yak and Alexander Sorlot. They also brought in on loan Erdel Rakib, leaving mm-hmm. were Noor Hussan, Keshi Anderson, Freddie Latabo. Uh, Andre Andre Coker and Sully Kaikai KK Kaikai yeah either way I don't know anything about the three guys they brought in oh I I I, uh, had to do a stats piece on uh, Sorloth um, for goal there Uh, and uh, his statistics are actually pretty solid he seems kind of like a physical analog for uh, Christian Benteke I think he's more of a backup to him than a partner for him. Um, which is a little troubling. Uh, I know we're running a little bit long on time, so I'll, I'll try to keep it short here. Uh, basically, this is an, an F for me. They needed more creative players with Sacco and Punchin, both facing long-term injuries. Their center backs are a mess. Dan's injured. Sacco's injured, uh, which will be no surprise to you. Um, and they needed a goalkeeper more than anything. This might have been the most overlooked position in the window. They tried for two, got neither of them, and Hennessy and Sproni just not doing the business for them. Uh, this is the first F for me today. Yeah. Uh, I, I, To be honest, I'm going to give it a no grade because I don't know these players. I don't know enough about them. And I'm not going to sit here in a podcast. I'm not one of those people that, you know, you've said he's a, he's a, a good physical profile backup for Benteke. Hmm. You know, and he was he was um top five in both uh goals scored and assists in in the Danish league for Michelin, who are currently winning that league. So like he's he's had an impact, he's done well, but you know, we don't see enough players come over yeah. from the Danish I think Superliga, if memory Superliga. Serves. We don't um, see them coming yeah. directly. They they tend to have a stop off. And the ones who who have come over, um Okore came over to Villa a couple of years ago, looked good, then had a knee injury, now he's back up there. Um, that striker that Cardiff bought for a load of money from Copenhagen uh, mm. and is now playing in, I think, in, in Italy. Uh, these 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 strikers have not, these players have not really worked out. I hope he works out for his sake. Um, but because it is Roy Hodgson, I do want Palace to go down. And apologies to Jay from the Eagles Beak. Uh, but I do want Palace to go down on behalf of um, it being the Hodge because I just don't like the man. Um, and now we're going to move on and talk about Everton. Um, uh, well, they're they're spending them billions, Kev. Sank Tuson from or Tuson from Besiktas for twenty one million, and Theo Walcott, as I mentioned earlier, from Arsenal for twenty million. They also loaned in Mangala from City, um, which is an interesting one. And leaving, obviously, Aaron Lennon left. Uh, Liam Walsh left, Ross Barkley left, and they loaned. Now this this is where it got weird for me. They loaned out Morales, they loaned out uh, Mo Besic, they loaned out Sandro Ramirez, and they loaned out Adamola Luckman, who's probably the best young 
player that they had at the club and he had been very impressive for them. Now I get that they've brought in Walcott and got Balassi back so they might have been looking at it and saying oh well he's not going to get the games here but I just I don't grasp the concept of loaning out at least two of those players. Ramirez well, Allardyce mentioned that players were coming to him asking out. I think everybody realizes that Allardyce is a stopgap option. Mm. And so some of the younger players, like you mentioned, in the summer show we did, we mentioned that Lookman is one of the players that they got on a cheap. It would probably end up being better than a lot of the players they spent a lot of money on. I still think that's the case. Um, but the fact that players won out, I think, is the big story here for Everton. For sure. For sure. I mean, the, the, the Sandro Ramirez one, he probably hasn't settled. He's gone to Sevilla now. So, I mean, in, in, for him, that's a great move because he's going to a better club. Um, Kevin Morales had been agitating to go for a while. I think Mo Besic was looking for games at his age. He needs games. So those those three I can kind of understand. But I, I just I don't grasp the Luckman one. Um, obviously, they, they kind of they got fit. Look. The thing with Barkley is I think it's a bad move for them, but in the end it is a good move. They're getting fifteen million for a player that was leaving for free. So, you know, they should have got forty they should have sold him eighteen months ago and they would have got forty million from coming off that season that he had. Um and he was excellent. And um it, they just they would refused to listen to offers. Uh, but I I kind of like what they've done. I Sanctuson I don't know. I He's got a decent scoring record in the Turkish league, and there is definitely yeah. talent there. He's a very good finisher. He's very good finishing instincts. But yeah, he has ten goals in six of his ten seasons mm. as a professional. But ten he's a, plus. Sorry, he's a little bit limited. He reminds me a little bit of Jelovic that they had before. Can I tell you who I who I have written down as my comp? Who? Uh, Soldado. Oh, that's a that good even show. if he's even if he's not scoring, he's doing the side business. Yeah. But if he's not scoring, he doesn't do enough of the assisting and the creating space to really warrant his price. Exactly. And if you spent 20 million on him and you're the eighth team in the league, you, you need goals, especially when you've been struggling for goals. Um, and it, look, we slated them in the summer for not, a, not bringing in a number nine. They've now done that. So that's to their credit. I just, I don't know if he's the right one. Um, like we mentioned earlier, like they, they clearly needed pace. They'd finally given Luckman a go. They got Balassi back and then they go and they buy Walcott. It, it's kind of like the thing we talked about in the summer where they needed a number 10 so they bought Klassan and they forgot to mark that off their to-do list so they went and got Rooney and again they forgot to mark it off so they went and bought Gilfie and it looks like they've had at some point in like November written Pacey Winger needed give Luckman a chance okay we still need another one get Balassi back okay well now we can mark it off and someone's forgotten to mark it off and they've brought in Walcott and then remembered on deadline day, oh God, we have Luckman and just sent him out and loan. So that that one's a little bit strange, especially to loan him outside the league. I, When you do that, it's kind of like saying to the player, like, go and develop, but just know that you're not in our plans for next season either. Because if you want a player to develop for the Premier League style, you're probably better off loaning him within the Premier League or at least to the Championship. Now, going to Leipzig, he's going to be playing with top players. I mean, he's going to be playing with, with Naby Keita. He's going to be playing with Timo Werner. Uh, he's going to be playing with, you know, some really good players who can who he can learn from. And he's going to... He's probably not going to start for them. So, again, you've got to sort of say, well, what's the point? But 
Leipzig do develop players very, very well. That's what, what they're best at. So I do expect him to do well there. And I'll be honest, in terms of the Mangala thing, I, I like this move. Now, I know he's been poor at City. I I saw this guy at Standard Liège. I saw him for Porto. Uh, I thought he was going to be excellent. I genuinely thought he'd come mm. to the Premier League and be excellent. He doesn't suit City's style. He's not comfortable playing in the high line. He's not particularly comfortable playing out from the back. What he is comfortable doing is playing in deep block and heading everything that comes near him. And if yeah. they're going to put him and Michael Keane side by side, that's two big bruisers who can do that, who can defend in a low block. And that's what Allardyce is going to do. He's not going to have them sitting on the halfway line. They're going to defend the 18-yard box like their lives defend on it. And I think he could do quite well there, and he may turn this into a permanent move. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he signed on. And I, I agree with you that I think Keane and him uh, would be a good pairing. Um, <clears throat> before this current iteration of the good Tottenham defense, there was a good year of Fazio and Vertonghen where Fazio was like the big destroyer. Vertonghen was the ball-playing one. And it, it, obviously that's not the only example. It's just the, the one that leaps to mind being a Tottenham fan and such. Um, but yeah, no, I think getting him on loan, seeing if he fits into that system well, uh, is a really good thing. Also, I don't think Allardyce is their manager next season. Um, so there'll be plenty of tape internally for whoever does take that job uh, to decide whether or not they'd like to keep him. Um, I really didn't mind this window, especially considering we've seen what Walcott can do. The Tosin money, I think, was spent poorly, as they continue to do. I don't know if they just can't scout forwards. My big question is, what's Steve Walsh currently doing? Because none of these are his kind of signings. No. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't really hate this. Uh, C plus, B minus, somewhere in there? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think a C plus. Um, I, I think Walsh is getting a really bad rep. I I look at their business and I, I look at the young players they're signing and I think that's what Steve Walsh is doing. Yeah, and then, and then agreed. There's, and then there's like there's two there's two camps and it reminds me of Liverpool a couple of years ago when Rodgers yeah. was doing one thing and Michael Edwards and Dave Fallows were doing something else. And as it turned out at Liverpool, what Fallows and Edwards was doing was the right thing and what Rodgers was doing was a disaster. So I kind of see... Like there's no way Sam Allardyce took that deal on a took that job on a short term deal without getting control of transfers, so I do think he's the one kind of pulling the strings. Walcott is a very very big Sam signing. Um, Sanctuson just seems like they cast the net and he's who they come up with. Uh, he may do very well there. He he may do very well, but you know we, we'll we'll have to wait and see. Uh, I think a C plus. Um, moving on uh, to Huddersfield. Uh, only one outgoing, Ryan Schofield left on loan. A couple of incomings, Terence Conglo on loan from Monaco and Alex Pritchard from um, Norwich City. Two good players. I like Alex Pritchard. Yeah. I, th- I think what he brings is creativity. I think he can score goals. I think it's a surprise that it's come. It's taken this long for him to you know, find a, a proper Premier League home. Obviously, he came through your academy, so you, you're mm-hmm. very, very aware of what this guy can do. But he's a very talented player. And Terence Congrel is a good left-back, you know, yeah. and he can play centre-back as well. He was Monaco didn't buy him for nothing. Monaco didn't buy him for nothing. Monaco bought him to replace Benjamin Mendy. He isn't Benjamin Mendy, but he is a good player, and he was very, very good for Feyenoord in their title-winning team. I just don't think he settled at Monaco. Like, it does take some players a year... Or even 18 months to settle and it. It takes a, a manager giving them that time. Monaco are challenging for the, or were trying to, you know, retain their title. They're trying to stay in the top four. 
in France. They, they have very high standards at Monaco now. Um, so they, they couldn't really deal with, with him. And he's not the only one they signed in the summer. They they signed five or six players in the summer, and, and I think mm-hmm. three of them have already been moved out on low. So Monaco have just are very ruthless in this regard. Well, I think a lot, large part of it is that they didn't find success. Yeah. Um, which is obviously a blow for them. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is one of the smartest, cheapest windows that, that happened this January. Um, because they get in two players who are probably going to start for them. You mentioned Pritchard. The only reason we haven't heard of him sooner was injuries. He was supposed to take the slot that now Harry Winks has taken in the Tottenham team. Um, he is more creative and attacking than Winks is. Yeah. But you know, we had like that one slot that year. Or who was going to be the young player to establish themselves in the 11. And the only reason it wasn't Pritchard was injury. And then we sell him to Norwich. He's done fairly well. Um, and then it, it kind of continued to help us because then Pritchard coming back up means that we loan, uh, Marcus Edwards to Norwich to play that role. Yeah. Um, and hopefully we get to see the same out of him. But Pritchard's talent is, is fairly high. This isn't a limitless potential guy. Um, it's, it's more of a, uh, what Tommy Carroll was supposed to be. Yeah. Like that's, that's skill set. He's a little light. Frame wise, but he has very good vision, very good pass on him. Um, those kind of like slide rule reverse passes, um, that just split a defense. He has that for days. Uh, still kind of questioning the whole uh, De Poitre and um, um, oh my gosh, uh, Mounier combo. I, I thought that was going to be much better to start the season. Yeah, but they don't really cross the ball as much. No. So that having those two big guys up front doesn't really help. I realize De Poitre's goals. Stats look good, but a lot of them are penalties. Um, but if if they they can improve uh, how they've been playing, uh, I think Pritchard will, will get the most out of them. And Conglo, as you said, can play center back or left back, fixes two needs for them. Um, so I'm I'm all for this. Uh, I, I think this is a a minus for me. Yeah. Uh, they they didn't have to do a whole lot. I realize a lot of people may think that they're uh, uh, championship bound. Um, I don't think that, and it's not just because of David Wagner. I realize that's like the super easy out. I just think there are enough decently talented teams, and they are set up well by Wagner. But it seems like all of the players um, know their roles. Yeah. Which at, even at a lot of the big clubs, I mean, we were just talking about Chelsea a little bit ago. Like that is a place where a lot of the players don't actually know their roles. In defense, they tend to. But I think at Huddersfield, everybody knows what they're meant to be doing. And even though they might not be the best at it, they're all moving the same direction. And a lot of times that can kind of be one of those, uh, the results are greater than the the parts. Yeah, I mean, look, Pritchard's ceiling is probably Adam Lallana. That's that's probably where he'll top it. And that's fine, because Adam Lallana for Huddersfield would be a very good player. And that's... For 11 million. For 11 million. And that's fine. That was probably what Lallana was worth... When we bought him a couple of years ago, well, we paid double, over double that. But, I mean, that's fine. For Huddersfield, that's a very good player. That's a guy who can come in and give them what they need. Um, like I said, I like Congo. I think, again, like, I agree with you. I think I think an A-, minus, B, B plus, A-. Minus, I, I, I do worry about them a little bit just because, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot of depth there. And if they do get, say, if Aaron Moy was to go down for the rest of the season. I think it could be catastrophic for them. <laughs> to um, be fair, there aren't many players in the mould of Aaron Moy at no, any level. he's a very rare player, and he's a very good player as well, it should be said. But like the thing is, what they've done is they've come up, they've shown they can handle the league. Now, even if they go down, they're not going down to stay down. This is a team that will go down and immediately be in a position 
and and a signing like Pritchard is very clever like this because he's not going to demand to go and they haven't really bought a whole bunch of guys who are going to go oh well, I'm not going to play in the championship I'm much better than that they've bought guys knowing that this is a long term plan they've bought guys knowing that if they go down it is going to hit their finances but they're not going to overstretch themselves so they've been clever and again I think this is the second good window in a row for them I think they've a good window in the summer and they've had a good window again here. It's clever. They they could mm-hmm. maybe have done with one more. But like you say, Conglo... Like, I would have liked to have seen them get another centre-back. But with Conglo, he can play centre-back as well as left-back. Yeah. So pick your poison. Um, getting him in does does kind of solve both problems. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I hope... And Jorgensen has regressed a little bit. Yeah. But still one of the outstanding... Him for $5 million in the summer where everybody needed a centre-back was very, still very ridiculous clever. business. Yeah, very, very clever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, so full credit to them. Right, so moving on, next up is Leicester City. And mm-hmm. they've had a, a strange season because they were terrible at the start of the year. I think a lot of people thought they might go down. They just never should have kept Shakespeare. It was yeah. that simple. Then they changed manager, got Claude Pulin, and they've been excellent since. They genuinely have been excellent since. They've done very, very well. And uh, they've had a pretty good window, it must be said. Um, Diabate, the young striker they brought in, Already looks a good player. Already looks like he's going to be able to do something. Of course, they confirmed Adrian Silva, who they'd signed just minutes too late. In the, and it's what annoys me so much with the transfer window. Literally minutes cost them and cost him five months. And it's it's kind of harsh on the player. So, But he'll be a big addition to them because he is a good player. Um, he's going to add to that squad. Um, and the only ones that left, I think, was um, Slamani. Was oh no, Ahmed Musa. Andy King. Ahmed Musa. Oh yeah, they alone. loaned out. They loaned out three forwards that they well they signed Slamani and Musa in the same year. Yeah. And they also let Ajoa leave. Yeah. So Ajoa's gone on loan. Slamani's gone on loan to Newcastle. Musa is gone. I think back to CSKA Moscow. And Andy King went to Swansea. So. I think it's a, I think it's a solid window. Um, I think they haven't done a whole lot. Obviously, they only spent the couple of million on Diabate. But the one thing you do have to account for is that Ianacho now starts to get a couple more games. Yes, and he is a as is the Mari Gray, and exactly. And mm-hmm. this is the future. Like exactly, they've had and they did Maris it in defense as well. Where like two years ago, you know, you had Wes Morgan and Hoof. Plugging up that back line, you obviously had Fuchs in there every week. You had Danny Simpson. All of them were getting up there in age. <laughs> you look at that defense now, and you have Maguire, who's younger. You have Dragovich, who's younger. You have, um, um, oh my gosh, who's the left back that I, I always really rated? Ben Chilwell. Thank you. <laughs> um, and so all of a sudden, this defense is starting to look better and better. And now, as you say, you have Ihan Nacho, who City do have a buyback on. Yeah. But uh, I don't think Leicester have to take it. It's just if they're selling. Yeah. Um. And then, uh, as we mentioned, Demarai Gray is there. I think Albrighton has been very underrated in these Leicester teams um, who can pretty much step in. Uh, so I agree with you. I, I, there's a very good young core here. The big question for me in this window and how, how it will be judged by the end of the season, um, which we've done <laughs> before in this already uh, earlier, is what happens with Mares. Yeah. Does, does he become Alexis slash Van Dyke, where he just doesn't look the same player yeah. for the rest of this half season? Um, because if he kind of tunes out after all this drama, if he goes Barahino on them, then this is a failure. Not getting 65 million plus Patrick Roberts, who they were very high on internally, yeah. 
um, is a huge mistake. But if he gets back to any semblance of form, even if he's last year's Riyad Mahrez, who was disappointing, but still, you know, Premier League quality, just obviously not player of the year quality, then it's fine. Yeah. But that, that's that's the big question here is how how disruptive will this be to Leicester? Because, you know, they're not going to get into the top six, but they could have fought up to seventh. And with the right winners in the right competitions, that's Europa League. Yeah. Um. So that's that's how I'm going to judge this window. I think passing judgment uh, outside of that is kind of harsh, although it is a huge indictment on the first window after Steve Walsh left to go to Everton that both Musa and Slomani are already out of the club, if temporarily. Agreed. Um. I, and I, I would have given this a B because I do think Adrian Silva just makes that that difference for them. Um, what they have been missing in midfield is is somebody to do a lot of what Drinkwater did, but be better going forward. And I think he would have brought that to them, um, a lot, you know, in, in in partnership with Ndidi. But I like Patrick Roberts. I'm I, I think he's a really really talented player. I think he could have replaced a lot of what Mares gave you. And, and over the next three to four years, having him. Ianacho, Ndidi, Maguire, as we mentioned, and Damari Gray, you're putting together a really good young core. Now, obviously, if one of them develops into true star kind of status, they're going to get cherry-picked because that's just the reality of Leicester City. But, you know, they've decided not to do it. It's a big worry for me, Kev, is like, the season they almost got relegated and had that miracle, you know, save your job, um... Then when when Pearson got sacked, uh, or you know, parted ways or whatever it was, and then Ranieri took over, they win the league. Then Ranieri gets sacked, and Shakespeare takes over. And then last season they had a really good run in the Champions League. And the one thing that's always been talked about from people around the club and in the club, and you know the the pundits who who followed the club, is that there's an incredible chemistry and a togetherness in the dressing room, and there's two big people in that dressing room. Two big stars. There's Jamie Vardy and there's Riyad Mahrez. Now, if one of them becomes an outcast, either because he takes himself away from the group or because the rest turn on him, because this is now twice he has tried to force his way out of the club and he's now missed training three or four days in a row and he refused to travel to Everton. If they turn on him or he just takes himself away that could have a massive, massive impact negatively on that dressing room. And without that dressing room strength, I do wonder what will happen to this team. Because I do think they're they're positioning themselves very well to become a a top half Premier League team season after season who could maybe win a cup every three or four or five years or at least have good cup runs or whatever and get into the Europa League and do quite well. But if that dressing room falls apart and all of a sudden it becomes toxic and the likes of Ndidi looks around and goes, I don't want to be here, and Gray doesn't want to be there and Maguire doesn't want to be there, then you're in trouble. And to me, if they just sold Mares, yes, it would have hit their you know, level of performance for this season, but to sell Mares and get 65 million, or was it 55 million in Patrick Roberts? The, think, la- the last bid was 65 plus Roberts. 65 plus. I think that's crazy to turn that down. Roberts, like I said, Roberts and Gray on the wings is, is really, really promising. Both excellent young players. If you can bed in Ian Acho next to Vardy, you've got Ndidi, 
plus now Adrian Silva in your midfield. And like you mentioned, they've rebuilt that back line. There's a, there are a couple of good players away from being a really strong team. Yeah, absolutely agreed. Um, so yeah, if the Mars thing goes well, again, I'll feel more confident giving them a positive grade. But for now, I think I'm going to abstain. Uh, but that should lead us into Liverpool, the kind of apex of the show. Yes, indeed. And um, we have had a transfer window that has brought um, two different sides of the fan base to the fore. The uber-negative and the uber-positive. I'm I'm really annoyed about the transfer window that we've had, but I'm not, you know, burning crosses or demanding that the owners go or anything of that nature. I'm certainly not calling for Klopp to go, but I do think we've missed a big opportunity here. Um, to recap what we did, we brought in Virgil van Dijk. It was announced at the end of 2017. He was, you know, uh, officially unveiled on the 1st of, of January. Um, and everybody was so happy. Everybody was so happy. And then it all fell to shit. Uh, Phil Coutinho finally forced his way out the door to Barcelona. And the other permanent departures were Cameron Brannigan, who at one time was seen as potentially... The successor to Coutinho, he's gone to Oxford for a quarter of a million and Lloyd-Jones went to Luton for a fee somewhere in the same region. Uh, we loaned out uh, Ryan Kent to Bristol. A good loan because he's joining a team that are very good, that may get promoted. Uh, he should get game time there and you know it'll help him develop. Marco Grujic to Cardiff, another team in the promotion mix. And there's a, definitely a stipulation in that deal that he has to play a specific number of games between now and the end of the season um, or Cardiff get financially penalised. So he's going to get his games. And then Daniel Sturridge went on loan uh, to West Brom, which is a little bit heartbreaking. I'll explain why in a while. Uh, Ovi Ajaria went to Sunderland. Harry Wilson went to Hull City. John Flanagan went to Bolton. And Lazar Markovic went to Anderlecht. Um, all in all... I think we're worse than we were going into the window because um, while I think Van Dyke for Coutinho sort of cancels it, itself out to lose Sturridge and now only have Ings and Solanke as backups to Firmino I just think you're playing with fire it's a huge huge gamble yeah I agree but um, I, I hate to uh be, be the stats guy because I know some some fans just uh, aren't as into it. But it's worth noting that Daniel Sturridge scored more goals in that 2013-14 season than he has since. And I realize a lot of that is injury. Mm. But the the I don't want to knock fans' belief in a player because uh, that's one of the joys of being a fan. But the constant belief that Sturridge would be the one to bail you out of matches uh, showed a weakness in the team more than his strength for me from the outside looking in. Um, now, is that weakness still there if it's Ings and Solanke instead? Yes. Uh, in Klopp's presser today, he did list Salah as the players that he would trust up front, which would be very interesting indeed, um, especially considering Ox does have uh, experience playing on the wing, although, as you mentioned earlier, he has done well in that central role for you since Coutinho left, especially in that Manchester City win. Um, but I think the Sturridge thing is a little bit like the Giroud thing, if you don't mind me comparing them, considering Sturridge is... Uh, promise and, and talent ceiling that I think injuries will prevent him from ever fully reaching in that he is such a beloved member of the team that his departure has been 
maybe uh, a little too doom and gloomed with him leaving. <laughs> I realize that there aren't other options, but again, that isn't the strength of Sturridge. That's kind of the weakness of the other two. Does this sound crazy to a Liverpool fan? Well, the only thing I'll say is that even though the goal numbers have obviously dried up, like he still was scoring or assisting, I think it was every 130 minutes or something, or, or maybe better than that. Um, you'd have to ask Dan. Which isn't elite, but it's still not bad for it's, those that don't know what that means. Exactly. For a guy coming off the bench, it's pretty good. It's certainly much better than, than Ings and Solanke. Now, the big problem for me is not so much letting Sturridge go, it's not bringing anyone in. If we'd let him go and brought in, I don't know, Casper Dahlberg, or even <laughs> Oli Giroud, you know, or Michi Batshuayi, at least you're giving yourself a quality backup who you can rely on. Danny Ings has been at Liverpool for two and a half seasons now and has been injured for the majority of that. Um, Dom Solanke is probably two and a half seasons away from being capable of performing at the level required at a club like Liverpool it's not so much the allowing of players to go it's the not replacing said players and it's all well and good for Klopp to say well I'll just move Mo Salah into the middle and that's fine but we don't have any quality backup wingers either Ox is much better in the midfield three but say for example Firmino's out okay you move Salah into the middle. Salah is not as good in the central role as Firmino. So one position is now weakened. And whoever you bring into the the wing position is not as good as Mo Salah. Two positions are now weakened. If that player is Oxlade-Chamberlain, he has to three move positions. out of his midfield role. Yeah. And whoever steps in is not as good as him. So you've now weakened three positions to cover one position. Whereas if you've just gone and got Oli Giroud or, like I say, Casper Dahlberg is a player Klopp has talked up in the past. He's a guy we have looked at heavily. He's a Do you natural... think he's ready now, though? For a role developing coming off the bench, I think he would be ready now. If you're okay. asking him to start every game, no. But if you were bringing him in and he was the backup to Firmino and getting games with Firmino sometimes and we change the shape a little bit or playing instead of Firmino when Firmino needs a rest, then I think that he's ready for um, so it's just a concern to me that we haven't, like we've already weakened our midfield, our starting midfield in this window by losing Coutinho, because while Ox is good, Coutinho is great. Um, we've certainly strengthened our defence with Van Dijk, but I think we've weakened our midfield and weakened our, not our starting attack, but certainly our depth. Like look at it this way, Kev, if our front three were missing, Right, our front three, I would put up against any front three in the league and say ours are better than yours. Okay, But if you took those three out, say they're all struck down with the flu and they can't play or they have diarrhea, so you can't put them on the pitch. Our front three is Danny Ings, probably out wide, where he's not suited. Um, Dom Solanke up front, where he's not ready. And one of Lalana or Ox. Neither of them are as good. Lalana is terrible in a wide role. Uh, Ox isn't as good wide as he is in the middle. So mm. that front, that backup front three, in my view, is championship level. Like as in the league below the Premier League, not as in win the title. <laughs> Whereas look at your team. Now you guys are below us in the league at the moment, but you are our main competitor. Well, our main competitor in that third, fourth sort of battle, I think. I think you I think you'll jump Chelsea. I think it'll be us and you guys third and fourth. However, if Harry Kane 
Um, Deli Ali and Christian Eriksen all got diarrhea and missed a game. You have Son, you have Lamella, you have Lorente, and now you have Lucas Mora. You have, I believe, four options there, and, and you could pick any three of them, and they're easily top half Premier League. Easily top half Premier League. So yeah. I look at our I look at Arsenal. If if Aubameyang is the starter and Lacazette's the sub, Lacazette is fantastic. Whether Wenger rates him or not, he's still a fantastic player. We just talked about Chelsea. They now have Willian or Pedro plus Oli Giroud as backup options. United have Anthony Martial uh, and Marcus Rashford as backup options, and City have either Gabby Jesus or Sergio Aguero, or Sergio Aguero, which everyone's not starting, uh, plus Bernardo Silva as their backup options. Uh, and again, we've got Danny Ings and Dominic Solanke, and I'm not ragging on those players. It's just that they're a long way short of the calibre required, and clubs like yourself and the rest, you guys have the calibre. Like, even Arsenal have Danny Welbeck and I'm not a big Welbeck fan or I don't don't think he's particularly good but he's a guy who's played regularly for England he's a guy who's played regularly in the Champions League he's won titles with United he's done okay for Arsenal he's proven he can play at Premier League level Danny Ings was okay for a poor Burnley team in his first, in his only season in the Premier League then he joined us and he's been injured pretty much ever since you know so for me, it's not so much uh, the 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 sale of players. I, I'm okay with Sturridge going if you're replacing him. I'm fine with Coutinho going. He doesn't want to be here. Fine. Replace him. Replace him. Nobody's going yeah. to forget between now and the summer that Liverpool have 135 million or whatever it was that we are guaranteed from that deal. Nobody will forget that. So Monaco aren't going to drop their price on Thomas Lamar. If anything, that price will go up. Um, the idea that we could get Christian... Uh, Pulisic from Dortmund he's going to cost 100 million he's going to cost yeah. 50 million because he's really really good and he's going to cost 50 million because he is the because it's the whole American market he is the most marketable player in the world after Neymar Pogba and Ronaldo and Messi he is the man for marketing if Liverpool signed him the commercial side would go through the roof because of what we could do in America we could basically pimp him around America and make millions a week not a year a week with what he would sell in america yeah if you go like to the international champions cup with pulisic as your new signing yeah goodness yeah and that's that's the worry for me like he's gonna cost 100 million and he's not worth 100 million on the pitch uh i think lamar is worth the 80 million now he's not He's not worth 80 million. He's not an 80 million pound player, but Phil Coutinho is not a 135 million pound player either. You have to overpay because someone else has overpaid because PSG overpaid for Neymar. And that's where it will actually start with United overpaying for Pogba. But PSG blew the market apart paying for Neymar. Barca have now massively overpaid for Usman Dembele and now Phil Coutinho. We needed to go and overpay for Thomas Lamar. And Lamar filled the problems. If if you were missing Firmino and Salah went central, Lamar comes in on the wing or he starts in central midfield. And then you're not having to juggle and weaken your team all over to fix one spot. Um, so that, that's the frustration for me. 
whether it's Klopp's idea or not, I don't know and I don't care. Um, it's I don't think it's the right move. And even like I've seen people say, oh, if the gamble pays off, that doesn't make it the right decision because <clears throat> what's acceptable if we get fourth. Is that a successful season? If we get fourth, beat Porto, and then get knocked out, to me, that's not really a successful season because we haven't won anything, and second place is wide open in the league right now, and it's it's just better to finish second than fourth. So to me, I'm I'm disappointed, Kev, but getting Van Dijk is huge because mm-hmm. I, I, along it's with, finally a step to improving the defense after years of signing attackers. Exactly, and along with Toby Alderweireld, he's one of the two best defenders in the league. I think he's the best. You'd probably say second after Toby. And it'd probably be split 50-50 if you didn't know. <laughs> yeah, and neither of us could be quote-unquote wrong. No, exactly, because they're both great. Yeah. Um. So, you know, it's just, for me, it's just frustrating and disappointing. I'm going to give it a C purely on the basis that we signed Van Dijk. Um, but it should have been an A. It should have been an A window. If we had Sol Coutinho... And it looked like it would be an A window on January 2nd. It did. If we had got Van Dijk, Lamar, and brought Naby uh, Keita over early... Even or just kept Coutinho. Or kept well, Coutinho. You're leaving in the summer anyway. Yeah. Whatever. It, 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 no, but if Coutinho had gone and we brought in the other three, that's an A. That's an A window all day long. Thank you very much. Let's go and, and hit the second half of the season hard. We're easily getting top four. And with Van Dijk, you know, we'll, we'll cause some problems in, in the Champions League for teams because now we'll be a bit better defensively and we're obviously quite good going forward but we've done nothing we've got Van Dijk and then it's all outgoing so it's a little bit frustrating but I'll give it a C yeah I don't mind giving it a C either although I think um the uh <laughs> Coutinho leaving thing is somehow worse but the surge leaving isn't as bad. I think we're just balancing out at that same point. Um, I do see what you're saying, that there should have been more additions, but that was kind of what I was saying as well, that surge isn't the solution. The solution was elsewhere, and it just wasn't taken. Agreed. Um, which was the Van Dyke thing in the summer as well. But, um, yeah, I, it, it's impossible to look at Liverpool right now and say that you're better now than you were December 31st. Agreed. And that's, that's, that's a concern. And you did mention that second's up for the taking. But you strengthening the defense, but then immediately losing an attack, I think keeps you where you were. And whether or not that's enough by the end of the season, time will tell. Um, how much Van Dyke can improve your defense remains to be seen. Obviously, it will get better every week because he'll know his teammates better. He'll be more acclimated in the system. Um, but will that be too late? Much like I don't know if Arsenal's deals are too late. Mm. <laughs> Just as a, as a Tottenham fan. Oh, and Chelsea are just a mess right now well, see, as a Tottenham fan I am now more confident of making the top four now mm-hmm. because of the moves that happened at those three other clubs than I was uh before them well see there's my I, I'm pretty certain that you guys are going to get top four and my my hope that we will get top four is that I think it'll be Chelsea that'll drop out because I think they're on the verge of, of something really bad happening um, I think they're on the verge of a, of a proper collapse like they had under Mourinho. And, and which is worse? Is it getting rid of Conte or not getting rid of Conte? I don't know. Thing. If you get rid of Conte, who do you bring in? Do you bring back Gus Hedding? Do you roll him back out? Um, <laughs> what, what do you do? Um, so it's it's interesting. Somebody you know, check in with Di Matteo. Yeah. <laughs> Someone ask Rafa if he fancies because he's not having much luck with Newcastle. <laughs> um, but th- that's the thing. Like... It, 
we have left ourselves in a bad position. We've left ourselves short. Losing Coutinho is amplified. Like again, if if we'd sold Coutinho and bought Thomas Lamar, then I'm not bothered because I didn't see us winning the Champions League anyway. So him being cup tied for the Champions League doesn't really bother me. But I think he guarantees us top four. Um, if we get Naby in now, at least him and Lamar are, are like Van Dijk settled in, ready, knowing the teammates, knowing the the system and the style. And ready for next season, and I, you know, I hate to say, it, but again, we're I'm looking at next season in hope now. I'm kind of wishing the the rest of the season away that we just end up get scraping fourth, and at least then we go into the market in the summer and we can go and say, well, look, we're two, we're in the Champions League two years in a row. You know, we're here to stay. You join us, and we're going to progress and go and win, try and win titles and win the Champions League. Um, it would be a disaster for us to miss out this year. It really, really would because. I do think we're getting ourselves into a good position. My concern with this slow build that Klopp seems to want is that I think we're further away from the team at the top of the league now than we were when he took over. Because if you remember when he took over Leicester and yourselves, the top two teams, and you guys weren't as as good then as you are now, um, Leicester True. are nowhere near as good as Man City you know, Leicester were nowhere near as good in that season as City are. And this City team might be one of the three best teams the Premier League has ever seen. Um, and I just think that gap in quality and potential has grown from where we were versus Leicester uh, in 15-16. In so that that's my concern. And that's why it worries me that we're maybe turning Klopp into Wenger, where he's a fucking great manager. But he's hamstrung by having too much say it, a lot of managers make great managers and terrible directors of football and Klopp might be one of them. Not a terrible director of football, but maybe just an overly cautious director of football. You know, I mean, look, are you telling me that like, you look at Kareem Darren Bay from Hoffenheim. He has a 32 million euro buyout in the summer. Are you telling me they wouldn't have accepted 40 million pounds now, which is 12 million more than they'll get in the summer? I think they would have. Julian Brand has a 12 million euro buyout in the summer, which is ludicrously low. Are you telling me they wouldn't have accepted 20 million pounds now? Jonathan Tha, 25 million euro buyout in the summer. They wouldn't have accepted 25 to 30 million pounds now? Really? Like, if you weren't willing to go and spend the big money on, on Lamar, because maybe you have some doubts about you know, or what you want value, or whatever the situation is, is go with there's other options. It's not like there was nobody available because you guys signed Lucas Mora for a song. You know, that there yeah. was there was good quality players available this summer or this this January, and we've sat on our hands. And to me, it's unforgivable. If we don't get top four, uh, and it is Klopp's decision, then I think he's got major questions to answer. If we don't get top four and it wasn't his decision, the position of the owners might be untenable at the club. Yeah, and that's the big question here. I mean, obviously there used to be that, as you mentioned earlier, there was the whole, um, was it the transfer kit committee? Was it Rogers? Was it higher up than that? And there was that kind of uncertainty and it kind of split the fan base. That that's kind of what we're facing here. If you don't make top four, because you you do still have Kaita automatically coming in, but you have Thomas Lamar who was interested because you were going to be in the Champions League, mm. right? If you miss out on that, 
then who long term is coming in to replace that? I mean, you could go for players that you and I have talked ad nauseum about um, on Twitter. Mm. Uh, probably Neris then would be the best option for you since he can play more centrally than uh, Pavon or than uh, Malcolm. Yeah. But I mean, th- then but then you're going back to what you and I have talked about at length, which is that while City and United can buy superstars, Arsenal starting to buy their superstars. Liverpool and Tottenham still need to buy young players that have yet to turn into the best version of themselves. Yeah. And if you have to bump down from somebody like Lamar, who's two years from his prime, to somebody like Malcolm or Pavone, who's three, four, that that's kind of telling. And that would cause there to be a true separation that's between it. then I'm, that top three and maybe Chelsea from the likes of UNS. Yeah. And, and there's, the, there's the issue. If you buy a Malcolm in the summer and he's three to four years from his prime, well, Mo Salah's prime starts now, and Bobby Firmino's prime starts now. Yeah. And Mane might be a year away from his, but his prime is coming. Those guys aren't going to sit around. And I know people always point at Spurs and go, oh, well, Harry Kane won't stick around. Harry Kane is Spurs through and through. Yeah. And while he may get offers, Steven Gerrard got loads of offers to leave. And he didn't leave. He stuck it out. And here's the other thing. The asking price on Harry Kane is going to be 150, 170. And it has to be. And it has to be. In this window. However, if I can buy Harry Kane for, say, 170 million, or I can go and buy Mauro Icardi for 96 million, which is his buy. Yeah. And. Or in in your earlier situation, if Allegri leaves and then somebody wants to ball or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I can go and buy, you know, a Cardi who's as good as Kane. And I can strengthen probably two other mm-hmm. positions in my team for that remaining 70 million. I'm going to do the latter. Because if you look at Real Madrid, what they seem to be doing is they're they're not just building like their next great team, but they're buying the team to come after that as well. Like, And if they could buy a Cardi, Real Madrid would turn 70. Four million, like the, the difference between Icardi and Kane, they turned that into four players, four, four or five of the best young Spanish players, you know, mm. and, and and the same with like if PSG would be the only other club, I mean they're the two clubs. If Kane leaves, it's the PSG or Real Madrid, and realistically, Mauro Icardi's probably a better fit for Real, just in terms of language, culture, and, all, and, and I agree with you, and hate to there. cut you off. But considering now Serge Aurier and Lucas are there mm. and Pochettino used to play at PSG, I don't think that the voices in her ear, in his ear particularly, would recommend PSG no, right now. No, definitely not. And here's the other thing. How did PSG afford him? Because they've already got to find a way around FFP for the 160 million for Mbappe. They want yeah. to buy Oblak, whose buyout is like 89 million or, or 80 million or something crazy. And they do have other areas they need to spend. And they've got Edison Cavani, who's fucking great. So they don't need him, and they probably can't work the money to get him, because Spurs won't give him on loan like Monaco did. And if you're Real Madrid, Icardi just makes more sense. So mm. I think... And Harry they were Kane, sniffing around Lautaro Martinez a lot, although I'm not sure he's ready yet. Yeah, and like Spur, like United are not going to spend... Whatever people say, United will not spend that kind of money on one player. They just won't. They're not in the position mm. to. Especially not after they just bought Lukaku. No, yeah. exactly. Plus, they're not, like, the Premier League is so strong. There are six Champions League caliber teams. 
it's strong at the top. I don't think it's particularly strong after that. There are six Champions League caliber teams, so why would you why would United take that risk? Like if they buy Kane and he stays fit, he guarantees them top four. But if they buy him and he gets hurt and he has been injured a couple of times each season, mm. if he gets a bad injury, if that ankle gives and goes, well, you, you're not guaranteed. And all of a sudden you're in the Europa League and all of your commercial deals drop down. Then you, you have yourself in a bit of bother. So I think Kane is, there's no way Kane is going to leave before Spurs walk into that new stadium next season. People are fooling themselves if they think mm-hmm. he's not leading them out day one. You know, that's just how it's going to be. He's going to be there. So it's yeah. it's not the same for Spurs because Kane has that lifelong connection with Spurs. Mo Salah might have been a Liverpool fan, but he's he's Egyptian. He didn't grow up with it. Bobby Firmino might love the club, but he's Brazilian. He didn't grow up with it. Harry Kane grew up with Spurs. It's very, very different. So mm. I, 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 think, yep. I think we've left ourselves in a spot of bother. Like I said, I'd give it a C, but I think um, I think we've got major major issues. Yeah, and your season has gone from likely top four to a doubt of that. Exactly. Right, we're going to cut this here. This has gone very, very long. <laughs> um, but uh, this is part one, and thank you all for listening. We will be back with part two probably tomorrow, Kev, um, yeah. on EPL Roundtable, so make sure you check that out. It's at EPL Roundtable on Twitter. Kev, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, you can find me at Kevroff. You can find my writings over at Goal. And yeah, do the EPL Roundtable and FPL Roundtable podcasts at EPL Roundtable. Perfect. Right. Check out part two. Thanks for listening. Podcast Network.